Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. My biggest loser is probably Luke Dash Jr. and Jack Dorsey because they started <laughs> this mining pool that tries to not process ordinal transactions, and it has been a mega fail. Not only have they had bugs in it, they've been unable to attract people. Jack Dorsey, you know, got to be one of my like least favorite tech moguls because he just seems to make no sense. Not a dividend. It's a tale of two Kwan. Now, your losses are on someone else's balance sheet. Generally speaking, airdrops are kind of pointless anyways. Um, um, I named trading firms who are very involved. Um, I like that ETH is the ultimate possible. DeFi protocols are the antidote to this problem. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Chopping Block. Every couple of weeks, the four of us get together and give the industry insider's perspective on the crypto topics of the day. The quick intros. First, you got Tom, the DeFi maven and master of memes. Hello. Next, we've got Robert, the crypto connoisseur, and Czar of Superstate. GM, everybody. Then we've got Tarun, the Gigabrain, and Grand Poobah at Gauntlet. Aloha. And finally, I'm Haseeb, the head hype man at Dragonfly. We are early stage investors in crypto, but I want to caveat that nothing we say here is an investment advice, legal advice, or even life advice. Please see choppingblock.xyz for more disclosures. So, boys, it is the end of the year. We're coming up on holiday season. Um, so I wanted to come back and have this episode to be a review of the year. So for those of you who've been longtime Chopping Block listeners, you might remember, at the end of every year, uh, we do a year-end kind of like best and worst of the year. So we look back over certain categories and we each share what were our biggest picks of the year. Uh, now, this year has been absolutely bonkers. This has been definitely one of the most stressful years of my life uh, and certainly of my career. Uh, just the just the amount of sheer craziness that we were dealing with from like, you know, banking collapses to everything in crypto being securities and all the exchanges getting sued. And it's, it's been it's it's just been it's been it's been wild in some ways. It's been a very good year. Right. In terms of price action, you know, Bitcoin's up like 150 percent this year. So it's been a good year in that regard. Uh, but it's also been a very intense and uh, chaotic year. So. Here's the game plan. So we're going to go through a list of questions, and we're each going to share uh, what were our answers for these different categories. So the the uh, the things are going to be starting with biggest winner, biggest loser, biggest surprise, best mechanism, best meme, best or worst pivot, uh, biggest flop, comeback story, favorite chopping block guest, and then predictions for 2024. So that's how it's going to play. We'll go ahead and start with the first category, which is biggest winner of the year. Uh, so we'll go around. Robert, why don't you start? Who is your biggest winner for 2023? So this is a really boring biggest winner and you guys are going to ridicule me. But the biggest winner in my mind has been just the rebound across the board in asset prices across the entire ecosystem. January 1st to now, Bitcoin is up, you know, almost you know, 3x, most assets are 
it, it really has been wide and broad in terms of the recovery in asset prices following an incredibly brutal 2022. And I think the most obvious winner of all is just asset prices for the investors that hold crypto assets. So us, we, so we are the biggest <laughs> winners. Most people, this show. <laughs> most people listening to this show are the biggest winners. The chopping block listeners are the biggest winners. That's good. That's good. Nice. Good way to open up the show. It's a populism. I like that. Uh, Tarun, who's your biggest winner? The Solana ecosystem. I mean, think about January 1st of this year, right? Like everyone wrote them off. So I, I think they had, you know, like I've said on the show before, nuclear level destruction event, like an event that if your community is not very good, everyone just leaves and says, fuck you, I'm never coming back. And I think it was proof that that's like a real community and not just a set of mercenaries. I think, you know, if you look at a lot of other L1s, they don't have that level of dedication or commitment to their community. Um, and I certainly don't think, you know, the big biggest scandal ever in crypto being very tightly associated with your ecosystem is very easy to get around and it, the sheer level of perseverance from some of those teams is just it, it's something obviously very commendable but i mean sure the price reflects a lot of that but i think the you know if i look at the github commits if i look at people who are working in that ecosystem it i, I think they have to to me just be the number one winners right there, there are a lot of other l1s that didn't have anywhere near the level of extinction event, but just have, didn't even make any progress, like relatively speaking, any progress this year. Um, just look at their code bases, look at things like that. Whereas, you know, people in that ecosystem through the adversity were just continuing to grind. And I think they have to be the biggest winner in my mind this year. Good pick. See, I'd put them down for the biggest comeback story and you, uh, you scooped me. <laughs> Okay. Sorry. Okay. No, no spoilers. No spoilers on future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't be spoiling your later picks. Come on, Robert. All right, Tom. Well, who's you? Who do you got for biggest winner? I, I will answer, but before I answer, I want to give a quick shout out to the petite flickering candle in uh, Trune's table in his background. It's just really bringing the <laughs> holiday ambiances episode. So thank you. What holiday cheer? Oh my goodness! Did you light that before you recorded this, or like was that just? The funny thing is I'm always lighting candles or incense in my house. And it's the first time I've been back home in like two weeks or something. So I was just like, I got home and I immediately lit a candle because that's just like how I, <laughs> I will also know Tarun is wearing red and and he has green hair. So it's actually also very festive. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I guess I am Christmas. <laughs> He's drinking a red bull. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, very true. Kind okay. of white. Here's you know, so the bat. <laughs> oh. Nice. Oh, wow. Look, look at you guys. Are you guys coordinating on this? Yeah, I was like, in sweater <laughs> season, Tarun. Let's whip it out. And uh, this is where we're at. Yeah, um, great. My biggest winner uh, is Tether. Um, I think Tether from now versus a year ago is just, it's, it's, it was totally different, right? I think that the sentiment end of 2022 was Tether is illegitimate, Circle is um, legit. Um, Tether's going to get shut down. Uh, eventually, everyone's going to migrate to USDC. Market starts turning. Everyone's going to move out of stable coins. Um, you know, these these uh, uh, these companies are going to collapse. In fact, like the exact opposite has happened, right? 
Tether has grown substantially that they're actually higher than their 2022 peak, whereas USDC is, I think, at half or less of its, of its 2022 peak. Due to rising interest rates, Tether is now printing money. I think they made several billion dollars in revenue this year, most of that in profit given kind of it's a pretty low OPEX, CAPEX operation. And three, um, they're really like trying to legitimize themselves. To legitimize themselves. I think um, Cantor Fitzgerald, which um, custodies their uh, uh, treasuries, um, uh, one of their executives just went on on uh, uh, CNBC yesterday uh, singing Tether's praises. If you go to um, Turkey, if you go to Argentina, people want Tether on Tron, I mean, of all places, but they use it for payments. They use it for their sort of you know daily currency. And so Tether has really sort of emerged as this like, legitimized practical story. And also it's just a great narrative for crypto around real world use case and um, you're providing value to people's lives. So um, that's my 2023 winner. Yeah, very good call on that. So my winner, uh, for biggest winner, I had Brad Garlinghouse. So Brad Garlinghouse is the uh, founder of Ripple, one of the founders of Ripple. And uh, very famously, he was being sued by the SEC under the claim that Ripple uh, XRP was a security. And he probably had what was the most major legal win for crypto this year was uh, the the ruling by Judge um, Torres that XRP was not in and of itself a security. And XRP kind of, you know, blasted its way into being once again a hero of crypto, uh, despite the fact that, you know, over I think over the past few years, many people were detractors of XRP, but they've kind of stood out in front of the whole industry, standing up to the incursion of Gensler and the SEC, uh, claiming that everything in crypto is security and this whole industry is, is, you know, the whole industry of tokens, I should say, is grounded in, you know, this kind of legal illegitimacy. So big kudos to Brad. He's he's fought a fight for the whole industry and he's, at least uh, for now, uh, seems to be winning that fight. So uh, huge kudos to him. And I think the people who are holders of XRP, uh, you know, rightfully rejoicing over uh, the performance of their token. So, all right, so we got picks for biggest winner. Now let's reverse it and say biggest loser and we'll go in reverse order. Okay, the biggest loser I have for this year, Michael Lewis. So Michael Lewis, he was the uh, famous author who wrote a book about SBF called Going Infinity, I think is what it was called. And it was the first book, it was like the first blockbuster book about SBF after he was uh, apprehended and it was released like right as the trial was kicking off. And it was like, it. he just, he has been lambasted for the tone of this book which has been very sympathetic to SBF, very pro, like, oh, he's a tortured genius and he just made one little boo-boo and, you know, it was all uh, it was all an accident and he had the best intentions. And I think now, after, especially after the SBF trial, the tone of this book seems just laughably naive. Uh, and so I, I don't think Michael Lewis has aged well. And I think, you know, going forward, it's hard to not see this book as a pockmark on what's otherwise been a very impressive career. That's my pick. That's a good, that's a good one. Tom, biggest loser? I actually had maybe sort of the, the, the flip side of yours. I had the SEC. Um, I think for the past, let's say, four or five years in crypto, the SEC has been this, you know, boogeyman, especially under Gensler, and people are, you know, terrified to, um, you know, really operate or, or feel very, you know, sort of oppressed to do anything um, in the U.S. And I think this year we started to see a little bit of that um, sort of fade away. Obviously, with the, the ripple loss, there's a generally sort of bipartisan pushback on. Gensler and the SEC sort of overstepping their their uh, area where they operate. I think there's also obviously the Chevron doctrine sort of being um, um, questioned and sort of reevaluated. And so I think overall, just a lot of uh, um, a lot more skepticism around what the SEC is doing with respect to crypto, but operating overall. And it feels like that momentum is going to continue into 2024 and beyond. So 
Uh, that's my pick. Yeah, it has really been a phase shift this year. Like, I think people were much more deferential to the SEC last year compared to this year, especially with both Coinbase and Ripple. And you know, the ETF news oh, sort, of, yeah. sort of picking up, it feels like, um, you know, really they're, you know, the cards are sort of being forced against them. Right. I remember back when um, Coinbase first sued the SEC, there were so many legal commentators saying, this is insane. This is suicide. Why would you sue your own regulator? And now it looks like, oh, yeah, of course, like 100%, they should, this is the right move. Well, now everyone's doing it too, right? Like every, oh, yeah. now people are like, you, SEC comes after me, I sue them, which, you know, yeah, I, I think that once the floodgates are open, the capital and legal legal entities in crypto are ready to to fight, totally. which what, what was just not true a couple of years ago, I think. Right. So, okay, Tarun, uh, who's your biggest loser? Um, I'm going to have to go with Circle to take the, the kind of opposite side of Tom. Good choice. You know, obviously the SVB stuff was bad, but like I also just feel like maybe it's just maybe my personal experience going to other countries, going to places like Turkey and people are still angry about the DPEG. It's like, I, I just think like there, there's a, there was a really huge amount of brand destruction and it wasn't their fault, right? Like for the record, like I'm not, I'm not trying to say circle themselves even did something that that's like the sad part about it, right? Like they actually tried to do everything by the book, right? They like used us banks. They like had the right auditing. They did all the stuff that they should have, but I think they just kind of lost the market of the real non-speculative users. I, th I think obviously in DeFi circles, you know, USDC still has a huge toehold, but I just think the market share destruction, it, it really does sort of feel like a one-way function. I'm not sure how they can come back from it. So I, I think they're the biggest loser, but again, in a way where it's it's not their fault necessarily you can you can you can't like attribute causality to like they did something that caused them to to be in that position directly but they they, they definitely seem to have taken this huge blow and i think the interesting thing right is in the current run up the majority of the new usdc you see is actually just going to solana you don't see that much usdc new net new usdc mm. elsewhere so I, I really think like the tether dominance thing is is it's going to be very hard to overcome that. Makes sense. All right, Robert, what's your biggest loser for the year? Well, I'll start off with a you know uh, micro uh, answer, which is um, SBF is an easy one to pick simply because you know we we all very publicly watched him uh, lose in his defense, uh, but more seriously, you know, there's actually similar. To my first answer, I think the biggest loser in aggregate are the listeners and residents of the U.S. and large, uh, because this is yet another year where there's been really no progress on legislation. Um, I was very optimistic at the end of last year on our episode that this would be a year where we would finally start to see legislation adding clarity, not the judicial system, but you know, proactive legislation. And it's yet another year where the year has come and gone. And there's been a couple of things that have made it out of committee, but there's really no progress on crypto legislation in the US. And I think, you know, this was a major year coming in the shadow of SBF, coming in the shadow of collapse last year. And, you know, there's a lot of people that were more optimistic that this would, you know, finally be the moment, but yet another year has passed and we have not seen legislation creating clarity in the US. 
Wait, so, okay, so Chopping Block listeners are the biggest winner. Americans are the biggest losers. <laughs> so how does it put American Chopping Block listeners? Uh, you know, it's a grab bag. <laughs> horseshoe right, theory. Right Horse, horseshoe, horseshoe theory. theory. That's right. Yeah, it's both good and bad simultaneously. Uh, it makes total sense. Total sense. Let's move on. Next category is biggest surprise, which might be a tough one in a year full of surprises. We'll go in a different order. Tarun, you're up first. Biggest surprise. <sighs> That is actually a, a bit of a a difficult one because I feel like a lot of the things we mentioned already sort of qualify. Maybe I'll go for something on the technical side. I think the biggest surprise is that layer twos can be beaten by Ponzi multi-sig bridges by a long shot. <laughs> um, Good choice. In the sense that like, you know, I feel like we've spent so much time on security and so much time on like analysis and making sure these things are safe. And um, what we've learned is users really just want one number, which is points or yield. Um, and and I guess maybe a secondary surprise is this idea that these point systems have somehow become ubiquitous, where point systems are things where you use a protocol, you aggregate points, think like almost like rewards points on your credit card. And then based on how much usage you have, you get some type of airdrop. So it's a sort of a, it's, you know, if you think about airdrops in 2021 or 2020, it was like, Hey, did you, how much capital did you put in the system or how much, how many resources have you committed? Whereas now it's sort of action based. Like, did you do this many actions of this form? But I, I'm still surprised they kind of took off the way they did. But is it really biggest surprise so much as biggest reminder of human nature? I was going to say it's best mechanism. Uh, and we I was going to say best family. mechanism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we know that's I, up I, next. So let's not front run. No. Let's not front run ourselves. I, I think. I think to me, it's 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 just more surprising that that point system completely overrides any security concerns, which is what we learned. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I, right in the sense of I, blast, right? Like it's like purely yeah, was yeah. like that. Like, hey, we're going to give you points. We're not going to tell you how. Okay, here's eight hundred million dollars of TVL. Sure, sure. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think that thing, that kind of thing, happens all the time in crypto. It's just not generally like on our timelines. Is is the way that I would put it. I just didn't see that size. It was a you know like to right. to to anti quote Do Quan. That size is size. True, 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 true. All right. So I my, my choice for biggest surprise was crypto unbanking the banks. So if you remember the banking crisis, which kicked off in the US and was this huge monumental thing on a global scale, um, it started with crypto banks. It started with Silvergate and then it became um, Signature and SVB, which SVB was not really, you know, that significant portion of the deposits was crypto. But it was true for Silvergate and for Signature. Now, in retrospect, when we look back uh, at the time, you know, people were really trying to pin the tail on the donkey that uh, crypto caused this. This was because of crypto that the banks went under, which it, which at the time, I mean, in, in retrospect, when you do the full accounting, it's like, well, it wasn't really because of crypto. I mean, maybe Silvergate was because of crypto because crypto deposits were flighty. But really, the underlying cause was interest rates, right? And the, the fact that their balance sheets were all loaded up on treasuries and yields just did something very bad when uh, interest rates went up. Uh, on on bonds that were purchased in the zero interest rate environment, th- there was a, there was a hot second when everybody in the world was convinced that crypto had broke the banking sector, and um, that 
that was incredible. Not, not, you know, it wasn't exactly true, but it was this, it was this moment that we were like, oh, wow, crypto can absolutely change the world, not in the direction that we were imagining. And that, that, the fact that, that we as an industry could be at the center, um, or at least appear to be at the center of one of the most monumental events this year, uh, that was a huge surprise. I was definitely not prepared for that. I was, that was very frustrating to sort of watch in the, in the news, especially when it started to hit like non-crypto related banks, like First Republic, right? And there's always some new scapegoat and there's always some new bullshit, even though, you know, the, the answer I think is, is, is fairly obvious, but it's crypto makes a great scapegoat, I guess. My, uh, my biggest surprise actually maybe playing off of Turin is actually the rise of L2s. I think there was a narrative in 2021, 2022 that, you know, wh why do I need an L2? I can just make my own EVM compatible L1. I have a bridge. It's good enough. And now I can have my own um, token. I can, you, you know, bootstrap my own network and it's super fast and super cheap and everyone kind of loves it. And that's where all those kind of you know, EVM chains came from. And, and no one was really pay, paying attention to um, L2s or so just like, you know, why am I paying Ethereum for security? What does this token do? There was a lot of sort of fudding around it. And I think 2023, it was like the exact opposite. I was actually looking, obviously not the best metric, but um, L2 TBL is up almost 5x uh, from January of this year. And that's not just optimism. That's, that's not just Arbitrum. There's obviously some of the new L2s that are launching like ZK Sync, but it's also the entire OP stack ecosystem of like base and uh, people running all these rollups as a service. And so it really feels like this is kind of the new meta of, um, hey, if you want to, instead of launching a new chain, launch your own rollup. If you're an app, if you're an exchange, if you're a new ecosystem, you know, whatever. And so that has been sort of the biggest surprise to me is basically just this total 180 from kind of this 2022 narrative around L1s and bridges. Good answer. All right, Robert, biggest surprise. You know, this is a year where I, I feel like there was very few surprises, especially in terms of magnitude versus the prior year. 2022, I felt like there was earth shattering surprises, you know, lurking almost every other weekend. Um, for me, the biggest, you know, when I look back, shocking event was related to what Folks have already said, but it was the USDC DPEG. You know, that was the only thing that caused me to legitimately express a moment of shock um, that I wasn't prepared for mentally or intellectually. And there was a huge amount of expectations in the ecosystem that, you know, because of the level of transparency and the quality of infrastructure around USDC that it couldn't depeg, that the market would be rational enough that it would understand that. And, you know, amidst the banking crisis, we saw USDC depeg 18% when it was still money good, when it was still a dollar in the bank over just one wild, wild weekend. And that to me, I think is the biggest surprise. You know, it's funny because of like, I mentally don't even like remember it. It feels like five years ago at this point, but that was the only thing where like, I, I wasn't expecting it. All the other things, like crypto being scapegoated, you know, for all the problems of the world. Not a surprise to me. Like, totally expected, mm. you know. But I think that was the biggest surprise. Hopefully, 2024 has very few surprises. I am sure that will not happen anyway. Yeah, yeah. Again, for a record, I kind of feel bad for the circle more than anything else because, like, I don't think they did anything wrong. They, like, it, it, in some ways, it was like exogenous things that like, completely. It was also because of the transparency about what yeah. was backing mm. USDC. That's like actually part of the culprit. Tether didn't have the same issue because nobody knew at the time what was backing Tether. It was, oh, well, you know, USDC has 10% of its cash with Silvergate. 
or SVB, one of those here. I forget which one at this point. SVB, I think. And it was because of that level of transparency that people Wait, did, were like that weekend. Did Tether also close redemptions? No, no. So, 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 yeah. I mean, the problem was not. Yeah, the problem was not the SVB affiliation. Obviously, the SVB affiliation was an issue, but the problem was that um, Circle was not doing redemptions over the weekend. Right, Coinbase and Circle were not doing redemptions over the weekend, so there was no exhaust valve for any money that wanted to get out. I do think, I mean, so I agree with you. That was a fucking harrowing weekend, probably the most stressful weekend this year, or probably the most stressful moment this year was seeing the the DPEG. Like that's the only thing I can think of this year that felt on par with the FTX collapse or the Luna collapse last year in terms of just the just the raw craziness of the moment and the intensity of that time and just the, the fear that I felt looking at what is happening in this industry. But Tether didn't turn off redemptions, even though like, you know, the, the 24-7 clearing networks were both shut down at that time. So the, the thing I think that Circle did do wrong, or maybe Circle and Coinbase together, is that they took way too long to assuage markets that Circle, that like, you know, USDC was good. They basically took this kind of legalistic stance of like, we should not say anything until we actually know for certain that blah, blah, blah. Instead of saying, yo, we're good for it. We have the equity balance sheet that even if SPB goes to zero, we will be good. They should have gone into the markets and said so. And I think to this day, they're reaping the damage of not having calmed the markets that way. Totally agree. I, I agree. I think at the same time, there is a, a little bit of a curse to going to you know public channels and saying we're totally solvent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 mean, I agree, I, mean, I agree. You're saying you're solvent. No, 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 no. It's very different to say you're solvent versus like, yo, we will back this if something goes wrong with SVB. I, I mean, I, I, and my mothers are functionally similar. Even like the SVB yeah. president was going on, on uh, Twitter and saying, no, we're totally fine. You know, hold your cash here. I think every collapsed exchange or protocol or whatever has also kind of said the same thing. And so I, I, I hear you. I, I, I guess it's in my mind, it's a, it's a bit of a coin flip of, hey, are you able to build the momentum back um, to sort of stop the outflow or oh shit, why is this person going on, on Twitter and trying to you know, convince me of something that I should not need to be convinced about um, that my, my bank is solvent or my, my stable coin is solvent? I mean, look, once, you're, once your stable coin is trading for 82 cents, it's time to start talking. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, you need to get out there and start controlling the narrative. Like, I mean, look, it, a stable coin DPEG is just the, it's like, this is it. There's nothing else to wait for, you know? Like maybe when you're at 98 cents, it's like, okay, you know, just whatever, it'll, it'll repeg. But once, I mean, it was like a day that it was like at 90 to 80. And um, that there was so much damage caused by just the waiting and everybody panicking. The further this thing goes, the more people panic. Anyway, uh, let, let's move on. Next question is best mechanism. Best mechanism of the year. Uh, since you guys already blew your load on this one, Robert, we'll start with you. What's, what do you have for best mechanism? Well, my pick was points. You know, we've already touched on this, but the idea that you have a lot of different crypto applications or protocols or L2s or quasi L2s, you know, that are using this concept of points to start attributing value to users before distributing a token is brilliant. It's nefarious. It's, you know, what crypto deserves. You know, you have a bunch of folks now. Gets around a lot of legal issues. <laughs> it gets around, but maybe it creates new ones like elsewhere. Like it's, you know, I, I don't want to say it's like the inevitable outcome of all this stuff, but it's both an incredibly effective and somewhat disappointing outcome. 
in that you have not people doing things to get magical internet money, but people doing things to get magical internet points that aren't even magical internet money. And it's just kind of amusing to me at a fundamental level, but I think I want to give it best mechanism because it's so fundamentally effective. I know so many people that are totally appending the way that they interact with crypto economic systems because of these points. And it seems so juvenile, but it's the reality. Um, yeah, I'll touch on points briefly, but I'll also just choose something new for the sake of, of choosing something new. I think the other thing that is great about points is it's basically liquidity mining with a human in the loop. The, the issue with, with one of the issues with liquidity mining, right, is it's, it's sort of, you can set it once and then you, you can't really change it again, which is not really how you want to do paid acquisition, right? You would never say, I'm going to spend a million dollars on Google ads for this week. And here's the copy. And I hope it works out. It's always very iterative. It's always, there's a feedback loop um, and, and you sort of constantly tailor it to make sure that you're not overspending, that you're um, you know, making sure that uh, the money that, that you are spending is, is being used effectively. Points in my mind fit a little bit of that, that bucket where you can give out a bunch of points to people and then sort of retroactively filter out the sibling, decide, okay, this was actually the more useful activity. This is the less useful activity. Here's the conversion rate that I'm going to do. And that, that's something that I think has been missing in a lot of sort of liquidity mining um, systems where you just give out the tokens and sort of hope for the best. Well, to your point, you also have the ability to not just retroactively change things, but on a going forward basis, change how points are created on a week-to-week basis. I mean, there's been multiple yeah. projects that are like, now this week we're giving out points for X. And then a week later, it's like, now we're giving out points for Y. And then the next week, now we're giving out points for Z. And it allows them to keep on modifying their going forward behavior. Um, yes. It's wild. Yeah. I I, I think it, it seems like kind of the, the future um, for for the way people are doing liquidity mining and incentivization. But my, my other best mechanism is going to be... Um, not friend tech, but specifically the royalty uh, creator mechanism within friend tech. And so, um, you know, friend tech, obviously there, you can buy someone's uh, token, you'll get into their chat, have a conversation with them. Um, I think the product obviously has its own issues. I think one of the really clever things they did beyond sort of the points was, uh, or killing two birds with one stone. One is how do you properly compensate creators? Two is how do you solve this royalties problem with you know, NFTs or assets where you can't actually um, on-chain enforce that royalties get paid um, on different trades. They sort of solve both of these by saying, hey, instead of having to, uh, you creators have to sell new tokens or having this weird creator token that you don't really know how to monetize other than, you know, maybe you can sell it. You're actually going to monetize on uh, uh, the exchange fees themselves, which I think was, is, is quite clever. Two is, you know, basically by having this vertically integrated app and not outsourcing the trading to uh, you know Uniswap or to OpenSea and saying, hey, if you want to go trade the assets that we're trading, go to some third party where you're sort of relinquishing control over the royalties. They sort of didn't really make them tokens at all and sort of bake them into their contract natively. Um, and then they can sort of enforce their fees, enforce their royalties, enforce sort of the monetization system that they want. And so it, it's almost, again, sort of the, the opposite of the way the industry was previously going, which is we just make the token, we just make the NFT. You go somewhere else to trade it and, and we don't really have control over it to going totally vertically integrated, which is maybe a bit uh, antithetical to how uh, the rest of crypto operates. But I thought it was a very um, interesting experiment uh, at the very least. Yeah, good answer. So my, my answer here was uh, organic yield uh, for best mechanism. Now, it's a little bit of like more of a meme of a mechanism than an actual mechanism. But organic yield is this idea, you know, it's um, 
it's it kind of, I guess, named for millennials, I suppose. But the idea of organic yield as opposed to normal yield is that uh, in organic yield, you're getting the yield denominated in some other base asset that is not your stupid project's token. So you're getting your yield in USDC or you're getting your yield in Ether. Um, and the reason why this organic yield supposedly is because it's coming from some kind of organic activity that's actually willing to pay revenue. Um, and this organic yield meme, now I think this was started with GMX. And now I think Base has co-opted this idea that, okay, they're giving you organic yield because you know if you put your money into Base, you're getting yield from real revenue generating activities such as you know staking it through Lido or uh, putting it into Compound or what you know whatever it is that they're doing with USDC. I actually don't know. I'm sorry, MakerDAO. That's what it was. I'm putting it into Maker. So this organic yield meme, it, for whatever reason, it seems to just really animate people. We could just call it yield. I think that's like a, a more obvious name for it. But the, the term organic yield just gets people so excited. So it seems to me like it's a mechanism that seems to be taking off. Tarun, what do you got? Best mechanism? Yeah, I had kind of have like two answers. So I'm going to give the highbrow answer and the lowbrow answer. The lowbrow answer is ordinals. Um, so really shoving extra oh, yeah. data into Taproot. I, I mean, my biggest loser is probably Luke Dash Jr. and Jack Dorsey because they started <laughs> this mining pool that tries to not process ordinal transactions. And it has been a mega fail. Not only have they had bugs in it, they've been unable to attract people. Jack Dorsey, you know, got to be one of my like least favorite tech moguls because he just seems to make no sense. Like his choices make no fucking sense as, as well as fashion choices. I I'm not also not a big fan of, but um, your fashion choices are definitely better than his. <laughs> Great. Thank you. I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> I just like, I just, you know, Jack Dorsey really, I don't know what this, but anyway, so ordinals finding this very clever hack of, Hey, here's some extra data we can shove in. Uh, and oh look, we can actually now store metadata for NFTs. Or oh look, we can now store something that looks vaguely like a token contract, although without any of the security of a normal token contract. And I think it's one of the most hilarious things is that they're called BRC twenties. Like Bitcoin wasn't even the Bitcoiners didn't even try to come up with another name for their token center. They're like, well, Ethereum calls it ERC twenty. Why don't we just call it BRC20? Now, that's a Justin Sun move, right? Yes, it is. He originally called it TRC20. And and you think Bitcoiners with their purity and like the we fucking hate Ethereum dot 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 would would somehow succumb to to some type of purity test. 20 just needs uh, token at this point. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Are there even 19 (laughs) other BRCs? Like, I want to see the GitHub, you know? Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly, exactly. It's 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 like actually ridiculous. But if you look at the volume, market cap, the fees that have been generated for Bitcoin, it, it is the thing that's making Bitcoin look much more sustainable. Um, Bitcoin, for the first time in years, at this point, was able to beat Ethereum fees on a on a daily basis a few times. And I think you have to give people a lot of credit for ingenuity of like hacking something that like almost looks, uh, you know, like hey, you could write a little extra data somewhere and turning it into ecosystem. I, I wouldn't, I, it's not, is it, is it a clever mechanism? No. But is it a mechanism that found a way to to rile up Jack Dorsey? Yes. And uh, I think the highbrow one, 
is just like the concept of restaking. I think that has mm. shown up in 20 different places and like everyone and their mom is doing it. You know, I, I, I would say some things that are, aren't live look a lot like, you know, this, there are a lot of things that aren't live that look, are restaking, but there are things that are, are lives that basically act as restaking a lot of the Oracle, the way Oracles work in, in some other networks, like in Cosmos land looks very similar to restaking. And I think, I think 2024 will have that, that is going to be the thing that has huge growth. Maybe I'm front running my own answer to the 2024 things. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So let's move on from the relatively highbrow question of best mechanism to the lower brow question of best meme. Tarun, we're going to start with you. What is your best meme for 2023? I think the David Beckham meme. The one with like the... I don't even know what, that one. What is that? Yeah, what is that? You know, there's, there's like the, the David Beckham and, and his wife. I forget what her name, which Spice Girl she was. But she... Um, I guess there's some documentary or something. And he's... Uh, she's like, oh, yes, I grew up like poor or whatever and then david beckham like opens a little door and there's a picture and he's like oh that meme oh yeah, really yeah. and then it's like okay yeah we had a rolls royce <laughs> but then people really like edited that meme format you you, you know what i'm talking about that like yeah we'll throw I've, we'll throw one up on the screen for anybody who's watching the video yeah um, I, I think those those memes were were like my favorite because people really found a very obtuse ways of using those I know it's an end of the year meme, so um, there's obviously some recency bias, but I also just feel like crypto people were kind of sad until like April. So like the memes kind of sucked. So I'm just like throwing away the first quarter of the year. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, the meme velocity around the FTX collapse is also extremely high. So that was a very... That was a very generous, but not, time. not, not fun. A lot of them weren't necessarily no, no, fun. no, very depressing. Yeah, yeah, very sad and kind of, yeah, uh, kind of end of the world type memes. So I, I had I had two best memes. Uh, one which I I don't even know how crypto related it was, but Pinky Doll I had as the best meme for the year. Oh so yeah, without question. For those okay, so for those who don't know, because I imagine most of our listeners probably have no idea what what that is. So Pinky Doll was this phenomenon. I think it was like the middle of the year, maybe the summer. Um, she was this, she was this lady who is on TikTok, and she was making very strange reactions to, um, uh, notifications that were popping up on the screen. And, uh, she was saying things like gang gang and ice cream. So good. And all these random things in a very robotic way, repeatedly based on different interactions. And so people were like, what on earth is going on? What is wrong with millennials? Uh, or Gen Z, actually, Gen Z, yeah. Z they're the problem. Gen Z, I guess. <laughs> and so it turned out that what this is is uh, what's called an NPC fetish. NPC stands for non-playable character. And so basically it's somebody who is pretending to be a non-playable character in a video game, such that if you tip them a small amount of money, they will give you a canned reaction. Uh, And apparently this is like a big thing. And uh, wasn't it like DJ Khaled or something is like a big consumer of NPC content or somebody like that, some some rapper was like one of the top, like well, yeah, one of the top Tim- players. Timberland <laughs> spent like 200K or something on. Maybe it's on- Timberland I was thinking of. Yeah, just like, yeah. Yeah, it's like some really well, it's just. Like, it's-, it's like the modern strip club, like in a TikTok form. You know? Yeah, but it's like- not sexual. It's not sexual. That's the thing. I mean, like she, she is. I don't, yeah, well, okay, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem sexual, I should say, you know, <laughs> from the face of it. Uh, so I also had, I also had a tie. I had so the, the two I had was Pinky Doll number one, and the number two is modularity. 
and I'll just present that without comment. Tom, what do you got? Best memes. Um, I I was gonna go. I'm trying I'm trying to figure out how to sort of describe it, but there's sort of this uh, crypto to AI spectrum from like uh, Milady Romilio to based redacted gang to like Lil Clear Pill to like Chloe Twenty One E Eight and effective accelerationism. And I feel like that sort of pocket of the internet has really had an outstanding year in terms of uh, people leaning into being pro AI into uh, sort of taking the clear pill, I believe is the phrase. And so um, this is in my mind is sort of the um, adjacent, maybe next evolution of sort of the Milady Romilio gang. Huh. That's above my head. I, yeah, I'm not I, cool I, enough. I, to I didn't realize there was a connection there. <laughs> I kind of agree with you. Actually, I, I was, I was in San Francisco and I, I, I went to some EACC party and it did feel very much like going to a Milady grave. <laughs> but minus the music. Wait, minus how do they the pronounce music. it? Those do they people, not say EAC? Well, some people do. I, I, but I just, I, I guess. What do they say? We're at the, at the, at yeah, the they, lady rave. Do they say EAC? I, yeah, I just, okay. like, I don't like the way. It sounds kind of weird to me, so I, I spell it. But it, it's like a milady rave, but with no music because it's San Francisco and people don't really have good music taste there. So, yeah. Huh. Sorry, we should we should explain for the audience what what is EAC maybe. Just for like two, ten seconds. <laughs> okay, okay. It, it's 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 sort of the uh, this movement uh, that was sort of founded by this internet character named Beth Jesus, who was recently doxxed by Forbes. <laughs> although people have been unable to determine whether that was a purposeful dox or not, there's a lot of there's a lot of conspiracy that he did it to like launch his company because his company launched the next day uh, and had like this big announcement. But basically what effective accelerationism is, is the antithesis to effective altruism, where effective altruists are love, love spending hundreds of millions of dollars trying to ensure that there's AI safety or AI alignment such that the AIs don't kill us or eat us. In or, theory, they do. In th yeah, in theory, in theory. Of course, instead, they spend it on life coaches for themselves or whatever bullshit that EA people love doing. Um, castles in the English countryside. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All that type of shit. Well, you know, Steve knows. Penthouse well, condos in the Bahamas. Me. I, yeah, I yeah. don't actually, but I've, I've read about it. But I don't have any for uh, some space. And, and effective accelerationists are people who are like, actually, no, we should just try to like make the technology as good as possible, as fast as possible, and like accelerate our, our achieving, you know, the singularity. I would say the ex effective accelerationists are like, Gen Z Ray Kurzweil, you know, they've kind of like they have his ethos, but like for people who are younger. And then, of course, there's the, the Vitalik. Vitalik wrote a from, you know, a really nice blog post comparing and contrasting the two and putting himself sort of in in the middle, but closer to the accelerationist side, I would say. He said cautious accelerationism. So was well, DAC is like defensive. Acceleration yeah, defensive. Like yes. But the EAC people are just like, let's move as fast as possible. And like, you know, after the open AI stuff that we saw, wow, I can't believe that was only like three or four weeks ago, but it feels like months ago. Yeah, no, <laughs> um, totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. EAC basically is like, bring it yeah. on. Like, let's, yeah, let's, they're, let's they're, they're the other side. And like, you could argue they're the biggest winners culturally from the open AI <laughs> thing in my mind. It's TBD, TBD. We still don't know the board composition, but I don't know that having Larry Summers on your board means that you're going any faster. Well, you're, I, yeah. don't, I, I don't think having Larry Summers on your board means that you're going to be good at AI safety. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what it means, to be honest. Uh, anyway, all right, uh, let's move on. Best meme, Robert. Well, this is somewhat of a meme, but the Bitcoin ETF, I think, has been the most successful meme of 2023. How is that a meme? What? Because it's a meme because right now it exists primarily in idea form. And the idea is mimetic in nature. And it has spread virally throughout the crypto and non-crypto communities. And the idea of the Bitcoin ETF has been the most successful replicating and spreading idea in our industry, in my mind, over the last, over this year. And it has, I think, transformed um, a lot of the institutional attitude towards crypto. I think it's transformed a lot of the retail attitude towards crypto. And I think it's also transformed the regulator and legislative attitude towards crypto a little bit. So I think in terms of the impact on our space, Bitcoin ETF, number one, most successful meme. Fair. All right. So I, I assume you're not implying that this, the substance of the ETF is not going to live up to the hype? That's not what I'm implying. I think okay. just looking All at right. it as an academic analysis of what is a meme, I think it's a tremendously successful meme. It will exist in a 99% likelihood at some point in you know reality form. But like right now, as a meme, as an idea, it's you know, unbelievably powerful. Fair enough. I, I, I will say personally, I hope to never fucking hear about that thing again as soon as it launches. Like literally the most boring. It's like the most boring for something that's supposed to be revolutionizing finance. The most interesting thing you can think of is a fucking ETF. That's kind of embarrassing. Well, you know I mean? price like, going I, up is plenty interesting for me. Sure, so I, sure, I'm, sure, I'm fascinated like, by seeing numbers going up personally. I, sure, but like I, I just... Personally, I feel like, you know, it should be something more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's move on. Next category is best or worst pivot of the year. So um, I'll go first. For worst pivot of the year, I, I, I picked up, I'm going with worst. For, for worst pivot of the year, I have the SEC social media team. I don't know <laughs> what they were doing before this, but I will say this year, I do not like the direction they're taking the SEC Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> they've or they started publishing the these twitter or just gary imagine if it's just gary running that account it feels like it's just gary because the <laughs> level the levels of cringe and the ways in which they're trying to elevate gary gensler as like this you know smoky the bear for sec and crypto protecting it it's just so ridiculous and um as, as invited nothing but ridicule so I, I don't know why they're doing this or like where the budget for this is coming from, but I would strongly recommend going back to just like writing boring articles saying, you know, please protect yourself because uh, I feel like that was a more effective use of their time and energy. All right, Tom, best or worst pivot of the year? Worst pivot of the year, uh, paradigm pivoting to AI. Uh, in case you forgot that happened. Best pivot actually, uh, Pudgy Penguins. Um, mm. I oh. think I, when I heard about Pudgy doing this raise of, Hey, we're going to go sell plush animals at Walmart. I'm like, what the fuck? It's like an NFT collection. What do you, what do you mean? There is no IP. It's like a bunch of pictures. And I was very, very skeptical that they'd be able to pull this off. And I think in spite of my skepticism, they actually have pulled this off. I think they've been selling millions or tens of millions of dollars of these uh, plushies. As you see Pudgies now in a lot of like non-crypto context and non-crypto circles, um, they've been doing a really good job at a sort of pushing uh, the pudgy image and not even tying it back to the NFTs 
Um, but the NFT price has also pumped in 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 response to all this excitement. I think they're now like 10 ETH or something. So uh, I give a lot of uh, kudos to the Pudgy Penguins team for sort of, I think, blazing a different path for, you know, how NFT teams can monetize and, and what sort of the future of I don't know, NFTs look like. Um, but that's my, my my best pivot. Nice. All right, Robert, best or worst pivot? Well, this is a abstract one, but I'm going to give simultaneously worst and best pivot um, to MicroStrategy pivoting into a levered Bitcoin trade. The real Bitcoin ETF. The real Bitcoin ETF. This time last year, I would have given it worst pivot uh, simply because it put the company in an incredibly precarious position. This year, with the recovery in prices, it looks like one of the best pivots um, of all time, going from a software business into a levered Bitcoin trade. Oh, you, and, you, you mean like when they originally bought the Bitcoin in, what was it, Yeah, transforming or their company into a levered okay, Bitcoin. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, as of you know, the end of 2023 with assets on the rise, this looks to be one of the most obviously dangerous, silly, you know, crazy pivots of all time. But it's starting to look like a genius move for them. And so I am reluctant to give them the title of best pivot. But here in December 2023, I am forced to acknowledge that this is best pivot. Fair enough. Tarun, what do you got? Mine is maybe not a single entity, but I think um, watching all of the almost every single alt layer one um, uh, do a what I would call a simp and pivot to saying there they could be a data availability layer after seeing Celestia reach <laughs> over a ten billion dollar FTV has been hilarious because it's like all of these people made fun of L twos right their entire social media presence was like L two suck use a layer one. We've made it better, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden now they're like, oh, actually, 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 just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Celestia is worth a lot. We should be worth a lot. We're going to do DA. It's it's a very funny social media pivot. Like, I, I think like there is this interesting thing, though, of like, it, it makes sense. It's just I think some of the ways that the social media teams have marketed this is a little bit like shameless cringe in some ways. And it's like every single L1. Like, it, there, there's no one who hasn't already done this. And it, it's sort of this, it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I, I think like we're going to see this, this kind of explosion of DA layers as a way of servicing rollups and, and uh, inevitable, right? But I think it was just a little bit shameless. Like, they needed like the price of something to go up a lot. And then all of a sudden, everyone said, we're going to. You made this, we made this. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just like the social media teams or some of these places I feel like are, could just be a little more like appreciative instead of being like, no, fuck you. Like we already could do this. You know, it's like there's, there's, there's somehow this lack of kumbaya amongst. Somehow. I wonder, I wonder where that came from. Maybe because they took lots of money from investors. In, in a way that I think like, you know, people who like, like, Vitalik or Anatoly, you have to have a lot of respect for it because they they don't do this. They don't do this like you made this, I made this thing. And, uh, kind That's of, true, but they are sitting on like tens of billions of dollars of network value created. So it is, it, to be fair, like I, I, I would say if you are a founder and you have an L1 that no one's using, rebrand yourself all day long. <laughs> I 100% endorse telling everybody that you're a DA layer. 
I'm not I'm not gonna hate on it in that way. I'm just gonna hate on the the way it sounds always just comes off as like very disingenuous. Fair enough. Okay. Uh next category is biggest flop of the year. So something that had a lot of promise but underdelivered and didn't achieve the stardom that it hoped for. Tarun, you're up first. What's your biggest flop of the year? As is always uh, common, uh, somehow bored apes have to show up. But I feel like all of the ape coin <laughs> proposals, all of oh, the like, shit. Do you remember? Like, have, there was they, yeah, yeah, I completely forgot still, about the other side. They're still working on it. I mean, I actually just saw a proposal from Arbitrum to like have ape DAO be an Arbitrum stylus chain. You know, obviously OP made a proposal a few months ago. It's just like a testament to the lack of intellectual center in that community that they can't even figure out how to do even one one millionth of the things they promise. True, that is an amazing insult to accuse someone of having a lack of an intellectual center. I, like that's that's so that's so good. I, I need to start using that in my day to day life. <laughs> I don't know who else, you know, like they promised so much. You know, you're talking about Pudgy Penguin. Did they though? They what did they actually big, promise? Big metaverse game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like so they promised other side, right? But they're working on it. Well, in the meantime, they've released like multiple new like token staking games where they made new NFTs for like the other side deeds and then they made these like gems that like you know your deed needs in order to make another nft it's like oh, is that right? they just like oh wow oh yeah oh yeah i, like, I can't even pay attention penguins, to it I, like like as, as sort of a duel to tom's answer before right where like they actually did sort of the minimum viable thing with their ip which probably hadn't like tom was hinting at like almost zero value and they turned it into something with value and board apes went the exact opposite way and like i don't know yeah to me that's- like it's extreme nft dilution in like the board apes land where like they just keep on coming up with new collections like and it's like you have to be paying attention 24 7 just to like continue to get all these like sillier and weirder nfts hmm. all right robert what do you got biggest flop of the year i i feel like you took a juicy one um that's salacious i i can't really think of a biggest flop um this year the the biggest flop in my mind you know is probably the presumed binance supremacy um especially with its settlement with the u.s government um you know there was a time where binance was like the most important exchange and i think just the intellectual mantle of importance is declining for them so i wouldn't call it a flop per se but a dethroning um, if you consider that flop like or flop adjacent, I would say it's Binance. All right. Good answer. Tom, what do you got? Biggest flop? I got two. I, think, I don't know if one qualifies because I don't know if there's ever anything to be that optimistic about in the, in the first place, but the Saga phone. Um, I remember oh. when they announced Saga, <laughs> people were excited about the idea, or a lot of people were excited. And I think uh, they've sold fewer than 10,000 phones. They cut the price in half. Like, I think even Anatoly went on a podcast recently and was like, it was an experiment and we're trying something new. And so, you know, I don't know how much faith and resources were actually placed behind it, but it just kind of felt one of those things where like, obviously this was not going to work and it didn't work, but I, therefore I'm like, I don't know if it's a flop. It's just something that was never good in the first place. But my real flop, I think was actually Azuki Elementals. 
I think the execution for everything else Suzuki has done has been so top-notch, so thoughtful, just really sort of attention to detail and like, uh, you know, attention to the craft. And Elementals just felt like an intern made it. You know, it was like, clearly there was gonna be backlash. You had this <laughs> sick business model of being able to sell JPEGs, just make the best fucking JPEGs possible. And it felt like this was a total whiffed uh, layout. And so um, that's gonna be my, my big flop. Well, mm. it was too Zuki. They cloned their original project and added a couple traits. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I do, I do think it's kind of funny if you think about it that NFTs are highly represented in this category. <laughs> of flops, yeah, interesting. <laughs> flops. Yeah, no, very true, very true. All right, well, so what I had for biggest flop of the year was Worldcoin. So now Worldcoin, if you look on a price basis, Worldcoin is not exactly a flop. Right now it's trading, I think, at like $25 billion FTV, but on extremely low float. So, you know, I don't think there's that much price discovery right now. Um, but when Worldcoin, I think now, you know, when Worldcoin actually launched, there was huge amounts of backlash. You know, it was being um, uh, pushed out of many different countries. You know, there were people like basically lining up to get their eyeball scanned. And then it started getting banned in different places because of the privacy concerns about the eyeball scanning. And I just haven't heard anything about it. It's become like this kind of meme coin for Sam Altman because Sam Altman is a presumptive co-founder of Worldcoin. But it's just, it's just, I don't like to to what to the extent that it was uh, purported to be the identity system for crypto by using biometrics and scanning your eyeballs. Um, it has certainly not achieved that. Actually, I don't know. I don't really know what it has achieved besides trading at a very very high price with very low float. Well, they did just announce some new integrations for your scanned identity. Did they? What, what yeah, the yeah, like like two days ago, yeah, um, like Reddit, Discord, stuff like that. Yeah, and and I think they're they're not going they're 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 going to have an OP stack roll up or something. I, I forget if it's OP stack for sure, but really, I, I maybe think I'm totally off on this. I think it's already think, on OP stack, right? Yeah, no, I think they're going to build their own. They're on OP mainnet. Oh, they're on, oh yeah, yeah. The, the I think they're actually one of the largest consumers of gas on op mainnet at some at some point I, i'm not sure if that's true today but there there was a little while i think they have sort of some future i i, I do think the interesting thing to me is that clear you know the airline yeah. <laughs> was like hey we made this digital identity thing that has a lot of similarities to blockchains but it's not a blockchain <laughs> in some ways i could argue you could argue that like clear and Worldcoin are kind of the same thing in a lot of ways so they are they are definitely similar they are definitely similar i mean the zk stuff uh, is different whatever but like from to the average end user who has used clear at an airport they probably don't think of Worldcoin that differently like if they don't know the technical details right but one has a token and the other one doesn't well clear yeah so you're probably isn't clear public now they, they is public, or yeah. something like that <laughs> so okay hold on just just so i understand Wait, what's clear you trading can, for can we compare this to Worldcoin? Yeah, let's compare Clear's, Clear's <laughs> market cap. I'm, I'm Googling this right now. <laughs> All right. Clear. We're, 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 let's three, get this. 3.75 billion market cap. Whoa, that's pretty Clear. good. 3.57, yeah. rather. So, like, that's a pretty good business. 13% of Worldcoin? Fully diluted, right? I mean, look, Worldcoin is like a few hundred million like trading. 300 something. Yeah, yeah, it's like 300 million circulating, right? But like, like 1% of the supply or something. <laughs> Oh, it has a PE so, ratio of one thousand one hundred and eighty-three for clear. <laughs> what? Well, I'm what? sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Worldcoin isn't isn't uh, is in the same well, strategy. Clear, clear monetizes pretty well. How does it have such a crazy PE ratio? 
I mean, I guess it means it's like on like the border. Well, they had some scandal, right? Where it didn't work and people were able to get through who shouldn't have recently. So a bunch of airports banned. Don't you have to scan your your ticket? Uh, I use clear. I I, I scan my ticket when I go in. I think I think it's like if um like the eye scanning thing doesn't work, they have a backup system that is like deemable or something. Um, Yeah, I can't remember the specifics. I see. I see. I see. Okay. All this says is that their one job is to not let the bad people throw. (laughs) They should. They should agree with Worldcoin. Clearly, that's the problem. The greatest M and A in history could be Worldcoin being like, "We're going to give you fifty percent of our FUV (laughs) to buy clear." (laughs) That would be pretty sick. That would be pretty sick. Um, I mean, if all right, you know, I, I I wouldn't put it past Sam Altman. Of of all the people who would be willing to do that, he might be. I'm not sure anyone else in Tools for Humanity would be okay with it, but he. Okay, definitely but, how, okay but how do you log in to Reddit or Discord with with world like with your you, you scan, scan your, your eyeballs, eyeballs to, to, no, to what what does that even like what like what does that even mean? I think it's like you can use your Worldcoin passport that gets created when you scan your eyes to basically I like OAuth into these other um, sites. So the same way you can use like your Google account or whatever to log into Reddit through OAuth. I'm guessing it means you can also use your Worldcoin passport, which you set up once you scan your eyeballs to get into Reddit. Why you would want to do that, I, I can't tell you, but... Um, okay, but you can't like log into can. Reddit on your computer now because it's like tied to the wallet on your phone. Or I guess you can like, export have some sort wallet. of way to, yeah, like yeah. OAuth through your phone or you know, something like that. Okay. All right. Wow. Anyway. Okay. Um, next category is comeback story of the year. So uh, who would you say, Tom, comeback story of the year ended up braving the most adversity to end up on top? I have Coinbase. Oh, me too. Coinbase feels Shit. like the most. <laughs> the I, think of us. All, I think we might have all had Coinbase. Tarun, who do you have? For comeback of the year? Yeah. Who do you have comeback for the year? I, yeah, Coinbase is just too obvious. Solana. Uh, four for four. I, I, already, I already, I already said Solana, <laughs> but I'm almost, I almost would be willing to say it again. Um, comeback of All the right. year that, that's unexpected. There- uh, maybe, maybe like, oof, that's kind of hard because they're really the, the the main comeback stories are those two. Okay. And like, All right. after, Tom, give us give that, us the story for Coinbase. I think yeah, right, just give us a story for Coinbase. Yeah, I feel like Coinbase is sort of like uh, the whipping boy for for crypto, or or it's just it's, it's very people have very bipolar feelings on it, right? When markets going well, people love Coinbase, and then when the markets, you know, in the tanks are like Coinbase fucking sucks, it's not listing any assets, you know, it's going to get eaten by Binance, blah blah blah. And so um, it feels like there was a, a sentiment low, um, yeah, at the end of last year where it was like. Or, or even going into this year, right? They had the SEC lawsuits. Um, they, you know, people thought, oh, Binance is going to take over all the FTX market share. Coinbase is never going to, you know, be successful again. I think its its stock was in in the tank. They had a bunch of layoffs. Um, and I think what you've seen over the past year is they've been fighting back against the SEC. Their, you know, larger unregulated, unregulated uh, uh, competitors are starting to sort of tumble one by one. They successfully launched um, Offshore, which seems to be doing decently well. Um, and, and overall, I think Coinbase has just been uh, the, the story has been surviving every single cycle and using that survival to set yourself up for success in the next cycle. So um, I give props to Coinbase for um, A, fighting the good fight on the regulatory front, and then B, just surviving and being sort of a dependable platform and not getting caught up in any of the, the nonsense that's hit any of the other exchanges. I have I have one now that I thought about it. But you're, you you're, you're all going to groan because it's not that different. But Kyle Samani... 
Yeah, like, you know what? Fair, I feel fair. like I feel like Kyle really fucking crushed it coming back this year. Not just in Solana, but he like found all the pro he he in you know, he meaning multi-coin, but I mean he is the face of multi-coin. Really was always in a lot of these projects during the bottom, was like the only source of funding for them, you know, mm. in the things we co-invested or I co-invested with him. Like like he 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 actually was really present for a lot of these projects where like every founder was in the doldrums and like I'm gonna quit Solana, whatever. I'm like, you know, I think a year ago you would have been like, wow, he like sent the multi-coin sent this like 90% down whatever letter. But I think for a fund to go to have that much of a U-turn and to not have had just like complete chaos explosion is pretty impressive. So like I, I wanna I, I would say multi-coin slash Samani. Yeah. Deserve, yeah. Deserves no, a comeback. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, Solana's up nine X since the bottom. So but it's, also uh, it's, but also the thing the, the things that multi-coin led at a time when no one else was leading them, like Gito and, and Pith totally. actually to some extent. Like like he he really did you, you know, if there's one one thing I'll say. He might be the inv- crypto investor with the most strict conviction because he like really has never changed. He like has one <laughs> fucking thing, and he he and like a respect because like it. I think in in this industry, it's very hard to have such a steadfast thesis. But you oh, know, he, he totally. he's. I mean, since I've ever known him, this is like the only thing he's ever really. He's just like beat the table on and. Yeah, I think I remember maybe last year we maybe said he was in the biggest losers, right? Because of the FTT stuff and whatever. Yeah. So yeah. I think he does. He definitely deserves the great, great call, great call. No, yeah. I, 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 it's something I tell people often, and I was telling people even this at the beginning of the year that I think Kyle Samani is probably pound for pound the best investor in crypto. Um, I disagree with him on a lot of stuff, most of the stuff that he says, uh, but he's probably he one of the a lot only of crazy stuff. He, he's one of the only true contrarians in the space um in a space that's already you know very contrarian as a space to be investing in but he he sticks to his theses he he does not the, totally. like you know you, you got to give him the most credit for that and i, I think like absolutely it, his thesis this year was the recovered yeah so okay um let's move on uh we're, we're, we're winding down we have two more categories left so second to last category is favorite chopping block guest so who has been the standout this year of guests that we have had on the show uh, Tarun, you're up first. Favorite guess. <laughs> Tarun has not done his homework. All right. We'll, we'll start I, with somebody else, then we'll go back to Tarun. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, okay. I have recency bias, but having two security-focused Anons come on the show uh, pretty much back-to-back, I, I thought it was a highlight. I thought it was a really nice way to sort of end the season and take a different approach um, to what we were discussing. So shout out to security-focused Anons. Yeah. I, I had uh, Cryptogle who was the first of the two security anons we had on the show. Cryptogle, I didn't know him very well before that show. Um, he, he reached out to me, or he responded to something I was talking about on Twitter, uh, saying that he was negotiating with the Kyber hacker. And I was like, holy fuck, we got to get this guy on the show. I want to know what a crypto hacker negotiator is like. And this guy was just absolutely incredible. We definitely have to get him back on the show sometime next year. But probably, in my mind, the best show of the year was, was Cryptogle. Tom? I was also going to pick ogle but i knew you guys were gonna pick it so i had to pick something different uh <laughs> okay. so i went with uh paul graywall uh from coinbase oh, um that was such i a think good show, it's, yeah it's rare that you meet 
I think a lawyer who speaks so transparently and openly about their work and what's going on, um, but also speaks so eloquently and, and doesn't sort of get lost in their own words. And so Paul was a delight to have on and just sort of a sneak peek into what's going on on the regulatory front and Coinbase's own um, battles with, with the SEC was, was uh, great. So that was my favorite guest. You know, it's funny when Paul was on the show, I, <laughs> I uh, was telling, I was telling this one of my friends, when Paul was on the show, so we, we did, we did that show in person. Um, I think it was, I think it was in SF during uh, in Stanford Palo Alto. conference. Oh, that's right. In Palo Alto. Um, and, uh, I was sitting, I was sitting right next to him, uh, as we were talking and, um, I realized as I was looking at him during the show, I realized he like looks a lot like my dad. And so I had this like incredibly nostalgic feeling as I was listening to Paul Grewal give these very calming answers about legal. It's like, oh, the industry is going to be okay. And I was like, oh, dad, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, it was, was, it was, it was kind of weird, but I felt like I, I, that, that show did have a special place in my heart because I felt so much better about legal after that. Uh, all right, Tarun, who is your favorite Chopping Block guest for 2023? I... We'll say more because it was a crazy one, Vivek Ramaswamy. Mm, I don't know if he was like my favorite from a content perspective by any means, because like, like, you know, no offense, I'm not voting for him, but I, uh, in any in any chance, but I, I thought it was interesting to see someone learn their platform by talking to us, because. Mm. Any things he said or discovered in the conversation, he started repeating on every other podcast. So from that perspective, I think it's interesting because we served as tutors to one of our guests, whether we intended to or not. <laughs> well, if any other presidential career, candidates, yeah. come on the chopping block. We'll set you up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're looking for a presidential run. Uh, unless you're, um, who's, the, who's the Puerto Rico guy who wanted to run for president? The EOS guy? Oh, uh, Brock Pierce. Oh, Brock, Brock yes. Pierce. That's I, don't right. think he's, I don't think he's running Except Brock again. Pierce. Is he not? Okay. Okay. This is, but it's open running. invitation to anyone who's not Brock Pierce. I thought he just ran to get the SEO results to like only show that he was a presidential candidate and like, you know, clog Google. I like that's that theory. A very, that's a very clever spam attack on Google. Yeah. I, 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 I love that. it. Yeah. I, okay. I, I wonder if ChatGPT, uh, when you ask them who is Brock Pierce, how how far down you have to go to see EOS or Tether, yeah, or other stuff, or other yeah, stuff, or, or other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Um, okay. So last question is predictions going into twenty twenty four. So uh, Robert, what do you have predictions for twenty twenty four? Okay, I have three predictions, and if all three happen, um, I will be somewhat surprised. But here's my three predictions. One, and these are boring. I'm going to preface that. One, Bitcoin ETF. Two. Really going on a limb for that one. Oh, going out on a limb. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Two, I think we get a proposal for what a CBDC in the US looks like. That's a controversial high risk. Proposal from whom, though? Somebody that's credible. I think we start to see... The outline. Okay. And three, I predict that total stablecoin market cap is going to decline as assets um, shift back into volatile crypto assets. And um, 
other forms of low-risk assets. You you think stablecoin market cap will decline because people want more crypto? Mm-hmm. What, did, did, let's just see how it plays what? out. Did, we can change <laughs> this in a year. Okay. <laughs> uh, also, like interest rates going down next year, you don't think well, that's going to affect sorry, people? Do you mean stablecoin market share, like percentage of overall market, well, market cap? Market cap, right? You mean absolute market terms. cap? I, I think the total dollar you value of stablecoin market cap, yeah. not relative market. Yeah, this is absolute a controversial cap. bet. That's interesting. That that, that, is, that, is, that seems very ahistorical relative to what's the, happening. The, the, relative, the relative one I could buy, the re- yeah. like, oh, if the percentage of the overall crypto market cap. Oh, that by default, that one's probably going to go. Yeah, down. yeah, yeah. That yeah, yeah, yeah. That that seems. I will definitely take the other side of that. Do you want to bet on that? Uh, I'll, I'll bet on our PayPal bet. Okay, <laughs> bet That's true. We do have our PayPal bet, but it's not yeah. the end of the year yet. So next show, next show before the end of the year, we will go and adjudicate the PayPal bet when we get to 31st, but we still have a bunch of Red Bulls riding on that. Okay, so interesting bet. Some some uh, very, very non-controversial and some extremely controversial, uh, but I like I like the spread there, Robert. Okay, I'll, do, I'll go next with my predictions. Um, going into 2024, I predict we are going to see a major L2 hack sometime in 2024. Uh, I think we're going to see a major L1 do a rollback. So like a DAO style, hey, we fucked this up. We're going to you know, take a uh, retcon that. And I predict that Binance is no longer going to be the number one exchange by market share. So those are my three predictions. Weirdly, this morning, we just had a crazy uh, supply chain attack against MetaMask. Uh, against Did not, not MetaMask. I'm sorry, not against Ledger, MetaMask. Ledger, sorry, Ledger, uh, Ledger, Ledger, Ledger. I'm sorry, not MetaMask. It seems like we are getting into the season for hacks and uh, more, uh, more bad things are likely coming our way in 2024. The hack advent calendar. Tis oh, the season. That's yeah. uh, not good. Please, no. All right, Tom, what do you have? Uh, predictions, 2024. Speaking of this uh, ledger supply chain attack, this is actually on my, my list of predictions is not so much that there was going to be a supply chain attack, but basically a f- there's a few sources of, of pressure going on the front ends. There's obviously been a number of DNS level attacks, supply chain attacks, um, regulatory pressure on um, front ends for for, for DeFi applications, um, as well as just teams increasingly, you know, trying to monetize their front ends that we sort of seen with Uniswap. And so I think there's going to be sort of a split in in in, in uh, DeFi front ends where there's going to be more app-based monetization um, of front ends, which is way um, safer, but actually more probable to do than, uh, you know, issuing a token. So I don't would not be surprised if we see more teams do that. Um, and then the other side of this, the other sort of uh, end of the barbell is more teams offering locally hosted or decentralized front ends. So instead of, um, you know, you pinging the team's server and then, you know, sending you the, the files for the front end, you sort of download it and run it locally uh, like, a, like an app store. And you get around all these other issues that we're sort of seeing in the market. So I would not be surprised if we see more of that response to a bunch of these different pressures um, going into 2024. The, the other, I think, prediction I have is big and maybe the flip side of Roberts is um, we're going to see, I think, another boom. We're going to run back turbo on crypto lending. Um, I, I think just the, like uh, two weeks ago, um, the short term or the Ave USDC yield, sorry, Robert, surpassed uh, the short term U.S. Treasury yield for USDC. And I think, you, you know, there's a big gap in the market right now when it comes to, um, you know, CFI lending or DeFi lending. People are going to be looking for more yield. I would not be surprised if we see another 2021, 2022 type lending cycle, but ideally with more risk control, more transparency, ideally using more DeFi this time around. But I think that's going to blow up um, going into the next year, especially as rates come down. 
That is a great prediction. I I think I'm I'm on board with that one. Uh, sadly, Tarun, what do you have predictions to close this out for 2024? I think there will be a time this year where the DEX market share relative to centralized exchanges crosses touches 50%. Um, we've actually had Wait, for, it's for, been, for for spot for spot. Dex market share wow. is fifty percent of spot, meaning they're one to one. Because we've we've been holding steady between fifteen and twenty right now, and I, I, I and there have been these bursts that have we've had a couple of them. Um, I think the the thing that's the the dual of the Binance thing is that yes, there will be a ton of centralized exchange volume, whatever. Uh, but I actually think there's especially in L two land. Um, I think if the user onboarding for Solana and L2 continues to be you know, direct to, to chain onboarding, I think the user experience has been actually getting quite fantastic. Like using Jupiter um, on Solana, using Phoenix on Solana, the, I mean, those UXs are like a hundred times better than what you people are doing in 2020. I, I really do think that some of the the, the newer exchanges are just like finding very nice ways to make the experience better. And I, I think there's going to be a point a little bit like DeFi summer where suddenly the market is crazy and there's a ton of new assets that in whether they're NFTs or whether they're a spot, whatever that exist mainly on chain and the centralized exchanges are going to be slow to list them. And there's going to be some, some time window. I'm not saying it's like over 50% for, for I just, I'm just saying it's going to touch it, um, and I, I think that that's one one prediction. Um, I think another prediction is that there's going to be a point system that blows up, so it's like sort of a different version of a hack, but something where basically How can the a point, point system blow up. Well, as in someone messes up the point to airdrop conversion, right? Because the points are like, hey, I'm generating these points, and then the developers normalize the points in some way to be like, oh, uh, these actions are actually worth less because people did too many of them versus other act. You know, like people may have this discretion, but I think someone's going to mess up like their code for doing the airdrop. Like it, it, it's not, not a hack, but they may have, they mess up the translation and they airdrop completely the wrong, like the inverse of who they wanted to. I think the odds of that are pretty low, but let's see. It's very contrarian. Very contrarian <laughs> yeah. of you, Tarun. Yeah, it's a very esoteric uh, thing to Well, to, Well, I just think it, I, I, could, I could imagine that these point systems just get so complicated that it's very hard to keep track of exactly the mapping from point to airdrop. And someone will accidentally write some code that flips, <laughs> like they, they incentivize the wrong action. It, 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 it's it's a little bit like hey like the user error and and like i could totally see that happen especially if people are rushing to do these things because there's a frenzy um sure okay and i guess the fi Point final question my final thing is um i think that ethereum DeFi tokens which have languished over the last few years will finally make a little bit of a comeback i don't think they're going to be able to have these kind of like infinite price to TVL or price to revenue or whatever type of ratios like you see with DA and Solana coins, but like maybe they maybe they can can get a little bit of a, a sail in their wind. 
Yeah, no, I think I think that's likely given that uh, interest rate environment for next year is going to look much better. So I think the risk appetite on chain is going to go way up in a in a full on bull market. So and 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 that's what I think. Why I think there'll be on chain dex activity going up also. But that that's all. Yeah, I'm, 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 that one is an interesting claim. Uh, I, I can see it happening for like a day, especially if there's a crazy airdrop or some you know wild activity happening on chain. But I think it's unlikely. Because you know, when you get into a, a real bull market, like right now, retail is still not really back, right? Like if you look at, I think a good barometer for this I mean, is just yeah. look at Coinbase on the App Store. Like Coinbase is still like not even the top twenty-five on the App Store. So retail, retail is not really engaged yet, and I suspect that sometime next year you're going to see retail wake back up and really get back into the market in a big way. Um, but right now, it's still it's like a relatively small number of people who are. Uh, driving the volume and, and and pushing prices up. So I suspect that, I mean, again, this is a guess, who knows what's going to happen, but I suspect that next year we do enter into an, a full-on retail cycle, but those people generally come in through the front door, which is centralized exchanges. So anyway, we'll see what happens. Um, so next week we are off. Uh, please you know, d- d- tune out of crypto for a second if you can. Everybody spend time with your families if you celebrate the holidays. Uh, but we'll be back for the last week of the year to adjudicate our PayPal USD bet. We've got a lifetime supply of Red Bull riding on it. Um, but until then, thank you everybody for joining us and uh, hope you enjoy the holidays. See you everyone.